Hi, and welcome to episode 32 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm Cricket Lou, your co-host, with my co-host, Matt Larson. Hello, everyone. And we are back, and it is not uh, terribly long after the first podcast of the year, right? It's not. We didn't quite make one in February. I was sort of secretly hoping we could manage that, but... February is a short month anyway. There you go. That's our excuse. That's why. Had February had a full complement of days, we might have made it. Because let's see, today's the 4th, so that'd be like February 32nd. We wouldn't have have quite made it. (laughs) Well, we would have worked that much harder to do it over the weekend, right? Yes. All right. Well, should we get right to it? Sure. We have. We actually have some questions in the mailbag. We do. We do. How gratifying. Do you have the, the mailbag there with you in, in Maryland? Uh, oh, let's give up the pretense of the mailbag. <laughs> How sad. It, it didn't really last that long, did it? Okay, well, I'll reach yeah. into the mailbag. Yeah, we have to confess, everyone, there is no mailbag. We're just reading from our mail client. Oh, man. Wouldn't it be great if some someone actually sent us a, a letter? <laughs> Where would they send the letter to Mr. DNS? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, both both you and I, uh, I think a sufficiently motivated terrorist could find either one of us. Yeah, I think so. I'm not I'm not hard to find. Maybe we should set up a P.O. box for Mr. DNS. I guess. <laughs> Probably. But, but, but what we should do is we should figure out, we should have it in like St. Louis or, you know, someplace equidistant between here and where you are. Well, then neither of us would be able to actually physically pick it up. <laughs> well, I, I know, but that's sort of the appeal of it. I like, it's like the tree falling in the forest and mm-hmm. it doesn't make a sound. It's like if Mr. DNS has a P.O. box and no one ever checks it, you know, the cat, the cat could be both alive and dead in the mailbox at the same time. <laughs> I see. I see. So it's a Heisenberg uncertainty mailbox. Yes. Well, we did have some questions. In fact, I, I think we had a few questions from uh, Errata Rob, who, who actually uh, let us know about his questions on Twitter, but also sent us uh, questions via email. Um, so shall we go ahead and start asking Rob's questions? Sure. The first one I think he got uh, an answer to already, but I think our listeners might be interested anyway. He asked, um, what name servers, what kind of name servers do, uh, are used to support the .com GTLD? And you, of course, are uniquely qualified to answer that question for Rob. Yes, and uh, so he, he did get the answer, as you, as you said, because you were, you were seeing this in, I think, direct messages from him, right, over Twitter. But, uh, but yes, the answer is Atlas, which is a, uh, oh dear, I have to be able to remember what it stands for, Advanced Transaction and look up system hmm okay does the that sound a, convincing well the a the a is apparently gratuitous i don't know the the second a uh, i guess yeah yeah so it's one of the well, one of them reverse engineered acronyms yes, it huh? was retrofitted mm-hmm. um so the the story here is that uh, when I started at VeriSign, it, well, when when we started at VeriSign, it was the uh, summer of 2000, and at that point, .com was being served on, it was in the process of moving from what at the time was pretty big Sun hardware 
to what at the time was pretty big IBM RISC hardware. Mm -hmm. And uh, IBM uh, was one of the few uh, vendors that had 64-bit processors that were you know, reasonable to get, although they were fantastically expensive. It was like a quarter million dollars a piece for uh, a 64-bit processor uh, IBM server with uh, enough memory to run .com and .net and at the time .org. And that was the issue because we were running bind everything had to be loaded into memory. And, and we could see that we were approaching the uh, the 32-bit, the four gigabyte, is it four gigabytes, right? Yeah, yeah four, four gig the, of addressable the, memory. Yeah, we were approaching that that four gig limit. And so we're in the process of moving from that 32-bit Sun hardware to 64-bit. But that was clearly not a long-term solution because, you know, if, if, you, if your only way to scale is to stamp out $250,000 uh, installations, <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't work real well. So, uh, we looked around for various options and decided that there was nothing that really met our requirements, which were, uh, you know, really high performance, uh, something that we could maintain. Uh, we wanted to have updates, uh, that would go in, uh, you know, incremental update, uh, incremental updates in near real time. You know, we, at the time we were still doing full zone transfers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, multi, multi gigabytes. And so, that that led to uh, a development effort and uh, and creating Atlas, and it it turned out to be not just suitable for DNS, but also for some other things as well. Uh, so anything that has lookup properties like DNS, uh, Atlas can be uh, can be used with. We we've extrapolated it so there's sort of a generic Atlas framework, and you can put different protocol front ends on it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's fundamentally it's a very fast in memory database with a a protocol interface on the front. So, um, you know, when, when VeriSign was in the, uh, uh, the, the the telco business, when you know we, we bought various uh, bought Illuminet and various other um, telecommunications related companies there in sort of the mid the mid two thousands and have since divested them. But that there were various uh, various telco services that we that we ran on on Atlas, like looking up. Uh, you know, like number portability stuff and, and caller ID name and things like that were, were run on Alice. Okay. And we've been doing that since, um, from, from, for ComNet, that's, uh, it's past the 10 year mark. It was, uh, it was, I remember it was right around the time my son was born. So it was the end of, uh, the end of 2002 was when we started, uh, started using Atlas, you know, very slowly rolling it out, uh, one side at a time. And, uh, here we are over 10 years later. Yeah. Now, just to be clear, uh, though VeriSign uses Atlas for more purposes than supporting just DNS, or at least did at one point, nobody else uses Atlas. It's used only internally within VeriSign, right? That's right. Yeah. It's. Um, I I think it's in such a state and is documented such that it you know it, you know we could somebody else could do it. It's not sort of uh, impossible for someone, but it's just not something we've ever chosen to do. Right, it's not it's not sold. If Rob decided, Correct. hey, I've got a big database that I'd like to run, you know, he, he couldn't call up Verisign and get himself a copy of Atlas. No, but talk to us about running a service for you. Yes, I'm sure he, <laughs> right. he will do that's, that. That's the name of the game for us is services. So now Rob did have a follow-on question, uh, which was uh, also for you: What's the rate of DNS requests to the .com servers, and what rate can they handle? Well, the first part of that. I can talk about in the second part I don't like to talk about but um, <laughs> I the, don't blame uh, you yeah 
No, so I just happen to have here running on the uh, laptop to my side uh, our really slick uh, monitoring tool that's also customized because you know we couldn't get uh, monitoring uh, both the agents to, to do the monitoring out at the at the sites and the, the centralized display you know couldn't get anything that we quite quite liked so we wrote that and at this very moment uh, so what what time is it here? I suppose I could quote the time in UTC, but I can't be bothered. It's nearly ten. <laughs> it's nearly ten o'clock p.m. Eastern time. It's like uh, nearly nine hundred thousand queries a second. Um, that's actually across all of Verisign's uh, Verisign's uh, name servers, and it's like uh, about seven hundred thousand a second for .com and .net. Mm -hmm. And and you know that that's that's typical. It's it's that plus or minus hundreds of thousands. You know, and and um, we can handle a lot more than that. It's I guess all I can really say. Okay. Well, Rob, I think this is the same Rob, although he posed this question via email, had uh, a, a related question that I think we, we can both help answer, which is how fast are the various DNS authoritative name servers in terms of requests per second or queries per second, I suppose? Um, well, I guess what's what's actually interesting is responses per second. <laughs> yeah. If you, you can receive 100 million queries per second, but you can't answer any of them, it doesn't really matter. Um, he says, for example, if we were to load up the entire uh, 100 million entries of .com into a name server, then bombard it with random requests, how many requests per second could it sustain before it started uh, dropping requests? I'm assuming UDP, of course, but TCP queries would also be an interesting benchmarks. Are there benchmarking tools for DNS servers that can help answer this question? So that's that's an interesting question. I mean, you'd certainly get uh, some pretty different results depending on the the make and model of name server that you were you were talking about. Whether you were looking at uh, a bind name server or NSD or something like Atlas, right? Right. And now the uh, the folks in the dot uh, CZ the check registry they have not DNS as in K N O T. Do you, do you know about that? I do not. <laughs> oh. So that that's another uh, uh, another authoritative only server, sort of you know vaguely similar to NSD from. Uh, that's from NLNet Labs, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I don't know. It's the kind of thing where the, the code changes, so the implementations typically only get better, and then of course the hardware really changes, just faster and faster and faster. But I mean, I think without without really too much optimization and without spending a lot of money, I think it's very easy to go many tens of thousands of queries per second, if not, you know, into six figures, you know, hundred thousand plus queries a second on sort of really off-the-shelf hardware and software. I mean, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, tens of thousands of queries per second is really no problem. Um, I'm just leafing through a presentation from Nominet where they had tested a bunch of uh, bind and NSD name servers. You know, you can get above 100,000 relatively, uh, relatively easily. Getting up into really big numbers, you know, over a million queries per second, that might require... Uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit more, either load balancing among a few authoritative name servers or some hardware acceleration or something like that. I know that at Infoblox, our our big, um, beefy name servers that do over a million queries per second uh, do use some hardware acceleration. Oh, do do you have single boxes that will that will do that? Yeah. And that would be over. I mean, at the, at that point, you're talking uh, what 10, 10 gigabit Ethernet. Yeah, yeah. Even multiple ten gig connections yeah. in some cases, you've got to have you know you got to have sufficient <laughs> bandwidth to actually sustain that kind of a that kind of a query rate. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that's, uh, that, that Robert does mention in this email is he, he talks about loading a really big zone. But I, I think in I think it's a safe generalization that, you know, for most implementations, the, the size of what you load is really orthogonal to per- performance. Yes, um, yeah. You know, because yeah. I mean, fundamentally, it's 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 a you know some like a hash tree or or a hash table rather something something like that where it's if it's not you know order one lookup it's like order n lookup uh, you know to 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 find the the entry in memory and, and and also typically that's the way implementations work they they load everything into memory so that it can all be responded to quickly so really the size the, the size is really only a function of memory and the um, the speed is what's uh, then the issue is bandwidth and CPU available and, and efficiency of the code and so on. Right, right. Uh, and, and with, you know, with that much data, what he's talking about, you know, the 100 million entries, um, you'd either have the memory or you wouldn't. And if you didn't have the memory, you'd get no performance. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and really there's nobody besides you guys um, who have a zone, a single zone that, that's that big, uh, a single production zone that, that that's that big. So yeah, I I don't know what uh, .NET is not number two anymore. I think number two is like well, it changes every now and then. I think maybe .de mm-hmm. or or co.uk. They're uh, you know they're more than ten, but less than twenty million. I think um, you know so .com is bigger than the next largest by a factor of at least five because .com is over a hundred million. It's over a hundred million at this point. Yeah, so. and, and and Robert did also ask about benchmarking tools, so we should talk about. Um, the couple of them that they're that are pretty popular, uh, QueryPerf being being of course uh, the the sort of classic, the one that's actually shipped with uh, with with a bind distribution. Mm-hmm. And then, and, oh, go ahead. I was going to say go go ahead. That's that's the one that I immediately thought of. I, what else is there? I'm pretty sure that uh, Nominum, a competitor of Infoblox's, has one as well. I think it's called DNSPerf or something like that. Um, that that you can you can get from them, and then if I remember correctly, do you remember Rick Jones, who was at the Cupertino sure, from site? HP, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he he had um, a program, wasn't it called NetPerf or something like that? And yes. uh, and NetPerf could be used for um, for uh, DNS performance testing. NetPerf.org. Is that what it is? NetPerf.org now. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was pretty cool stuff. It wasn't as sort of um, customized for DNS-related performance testing. It was sort of a more of a Swiss Army knife, but I, I think it worked pretty well. I, I haven't used that in years, but I think those three are the the three big ones. Unless you're going to use some commercial product, like a you know an Avalanche or or, or one of those boxes to do your performance testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the netperf.org webpage looks like. <laughs> It looks like it's 1994 in NetPerf world here. <laughs> None of this stuff has any dates on it, so I can't tell if this is frozen in time or if uh, uh, I can't tell if it's still being maintained or, maintained or not. Yeah. Well, this is definitely Rick again, though, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Well, anyway. Hmm. And and th- then the other thing that uh, uh, that he asked at the end of his. Uh, email is about UDP versus TCP, and we definitely are talking uh, UDP numbers. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there there are ways to make TCP go fast, and, um, you know, that's something that, you know, that's an active area of research for us, and that's, you know, we definitely provision for 
you know, a, a lot of TCP queries as well as a lot of UDP queries. But, you know, just in general, uh, you know, we just see many, many more uh, UDP than TCP. Right. Uh, right. I mean, even before, well, before um, signing uh, common that you guys had, a, you know, a, like a percentage, like 1% of, of your queries or something were TCP, right? And, and it yes. only went up, it went up a tiny fraction after, after signing. Yeah, one percent is what sticks in my head, and I, um, we've you know we've quoted, that's been quoted publicly, so I'm not revealing any <laughs> secret information. Well, I al uh, I already spilled the beans. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be able to drill down in our monitoring tool fast enough to find a real time number for you. All right. Well, should we go on to the next question? Actually, that was really three or more questions. So, I just want our our listeners to feel like they're getting their money's worth. There you go. Yeah, sure. So uh, let's see. So this one we have, uh, it's from our faithful listener, Yorgos Adamopoulos. Yes. Who's a, a, a new Twitter follower of mine. Which oh, is, is he? Mm -hmm. Which is nice because, you know, cons and, and, you know, it's easy to follow me on Twitter because I never post anything so, <laughs> except the occasional picture of a nice latte. So uh, <laughs> that's the benefit of following Matt. Yes, Matthew exactly. H. Larson, right? Yes, thank you. Oh, that's see, I, I don't. This is why I don't even have many followers because I don't. I, I I'm not up on the whole. You know, pitching myself over very social media. Oh, well, I just outlets. bought you six or maybe a dozen. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, so uh, Yorgos asks, what is your opinion on DNS certifications like the one ISC offers, and do we know of any other DNS related certifications? I actually didn't even know that ISC offered one, but. I guess my opinion doesn't really matter. What matters is the opinion of a, you know, would-be employer, right? Yes. I, I know, uh, I, I knew that they existed from ISC, but I know very little about them. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, if you just, you know, use the Google, you can, you know, find their, their page. They have several different levels and uh, a DNSSEC-specific one and actually an IPv6-specific one. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's based on their training. And uh, they do it in conjunction with men and mice, but yeah, you, I think your, your point's well taken. Is would would that mean the difference between getting a job or not getting a job? You know, would you look better than another candidate if it came down to you and somebody else? You know, I I I, I don't know. It's so new. It's not at all like the Cisco certifications where they they've become kind of to a certain extent you know an established currency that you know. Oh yes, okay, this person you can kind of tell something about a person by that. Right. Right. I, you know, I would say, though, that, um, you know, ISC is, is sort of the, to me, the one of the few obvious organizations to sponsor such a certification. If not ISC, then, you know, maybe DNS OARC or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. But there, it seems to me that there are relatively few organizations who I'd um, trust to underwrite a certification like that. Yeah, I, I would agree. You guys could do it. Yeah, but we're a vendor, you know. I mean, I, I would trust us to say, you know, you're certified in Infoblox's products, and and and, and you know maybe uh, some sort of a basic DNS certification. But I guess it, it, it seems like you'd want the the uh, imprimatur of somebody who's who's fairly neutral. Mm -hmm. And ISC is is a pretty good neutral organization. Maybe an ICANN certification. <laughs> oh man, well. <laughs> yeah, I hear they don't have much going on right now, so they've probably got some bandwidth to do that. Yeah, they're just sitting around. Oh, man. Uh, all right, well, so I think we 
disposed of that one. Uh, and I don't, I don't know of anything else. Yeah, no, I don't know of any yeah. other certifications either. I used to, when, when we were running Acme Bite and Wire, we remember we used to get a lot of, a lot of requests for some sort of a certificate. Yes, and remember I that, don't pe- know that people wanted to wanted a certificate to say that they had completed their Acme Bite and Wire DNS training. It was really did, sweet. Did we ever cough any up? I don't really remember that. I think we did. I think eventually we got around to actually printing one up, but it wasn't anything more than like a. You know, it was like a single PowerPoint slide onto which we typed the name of the, oh, the student. Oh, yes. I remember that now. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah, like so, something from, you know, Print Shop 1987. Or right, right. So if you have one of those, uh, one, we're sorry, and two, it should be very valuable by now. Yeah. <laughs> so we had uh, we had one last question, and this one was from uh, Frederick Cambus could be Cambu, I guess, if he's uh, if he's French. And Frederick says that he has a non-technical question for us. Do you have any idea why zone, zone file access programs are only offered by GTLDs uh, and why not by CCTLDs? Uh, and then he says, P.S., say hello to Cricket and Matt. Now, that's going to be interesting for Mr. DNS to say hello to Cricket and Matt. He'll have to decide which way he wants to drive from St. Louis. Yes, Exactly. Uh, well, and he also mentions that uh, the zone file access program seems to be an ICANN requirement, and and it is indeed. That's uh, that's in the uh, existing ICANN agreements, the registry agreements that the the various GTLD registries have with ICANN, and it's also going to be in all the new agreements that the the new GTLDs will have with ICANN. Um, and the reason that it's not uh, something that CCTLDs do is is that um, they're really a GTLD and a CCTLD. I mean, they're both TLDs, of course, but uh, from a, I guess, what do we say, a political or a layer nine perspective to, to use the, the, you know, the, the, does anybody know what layer nine means? Or is that just like a really inside IETF thing? Oh, I think, I think, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely heard people refer to, you know, decisions being made at layer eight and layer nine. Yeah. Well, anyway, the point is, so, um, they're vastly different. I mean, you know, CCTLDs, that's, that's something, that's a matter of national sovereignty. You know, that's, we're talking exactly. about, you know, about sovereign nations deciding what they want to do. So they, they may acknowledge ICANN. In fact, some, some CCTLDs do have, uh, and there are different kinds of agreements. So they have like, or maybe like they have a, uh, like they exchange letters or a memorandum of understanding or no, not even, not even an MOU. I, I don't, I don't know the actual name for the different kind of legal agreements that some CCTLDs have executed with ICANN. But, uh, you know, what they fundamentally say is along the lines of, you know, hey, we, uh, you know, we recognize that you run the root zone and we'll work with you. But it's they're not saying, and by the way, we're accountable to you as a sovereign nation. Right. Uh, you know, whereas GTLDs, it's, uh, you know, it is a business relationship that the registry uh, enters into with ICANN. And one of the requirements is that you make your zone contents available. And that's been a uh, it's been something that like .com and .net and .org have always offered is, you know, access to the, to the zone files. Right. And, and we take advantage of that. You know, we run our, our annual DNS survey, although we didn't really run one last year because of some hiccups that we won't discuss. But, um, you know, that relies on, on access to those, to those uh, zone data files from, from you guys and from the public interest registry so that we can conduct our, our survey and, and publish what we hope are interesting statistics about adoption of things like DNSSEC and IPv6 and, and that sort of thing. And I, I imagine that's one of the, one of the categories of, of effort that, uh, 
that the access is supposed to promote or support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually use the .coms on file access as well. It, it's actually the easiest way for me to get a .com zone. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, you know, because we have, you know, good operational security, and I'm mm -hmm. not in the operational side of VeriSign, so I don't have direct access to those those machines. And uh, so rather than, you know, nag someone in operations and have them navigate the various firewalls and jump servers to get a zone file to me, it's just it's a lot easier to just FTP to the same server that everybody else does. Now right. you know if I needed it on a on an ongoing continuous basis, that'd be one thing. But you know it's it's like a once in a blue moon thing. I'll grab a new one to answer some question or do some right. statistics. But right, and we should point out, of course, that the, the the native format of the zone data is not a zone data file. The zone data file is actually produced to give to people, right? Yes, yes. In that uh, it it just sort of magically goes from the database to to Atlas and uh, yeah, the only, the only reason that there's a zone data file is so that it can be given to, uh, to somebody. Right. Right. All right. Well, that was pretty good. Wasn't it? We yeah. got through, we got through a bunch of questions. I was going to mention that today, actually yesterday, technically was my 10 year anniversary at Infoblox. Wow. Can you believe it? I I've now worked for Infoblox longer than I worked for HP. How long did you work for HP? Almost 10 years. It was nine and a half. I think it was some, something over nine and a half. If you count the two years that I was there um, during the summers of, of my college uh, uh, education, I guess. Wow. That's a long time. It is. I was, I was stunned. <laughs> so, you know, that means if, you know, if, since you've hit 10, I mean, for me at VeriSign, it's... Uh, Let's see. It'll be thirteen this summer, so it's twelve and a half right now. Right. So that's that's got to be the longest you've you've been anywhere because before that 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 you were at HP with me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we're not getting any younger. No, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, nowadays, particularly here in the Valley, and I imagine that to a certain extent where you are in in the DC area, people don't usually have tenures that long. You know, we see resumes where people have been somewhere for 12 months and they'll list it on the resume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I see that. I, I see people, you know, 12 months, two years, you know, a lot, a lot of different jobs, but, uh, yeah, 12 months that, that to me, that's a sabbatical. That's a, yeah. <laughs> an internship maybe, but uh, it's hard to, I think it's hard to maintain that you, uh, you delivered a lot of value in the 12 months that you were somewhere. I mean, I would. Yeah. I'd still be learning where the bathroom was. I was and... gonna. I was gonna say learning where the coffee machine is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. speaking speaking of coffee, did I? I told you that I pulled the trigger and bought an espresso machine and a grinder, right? Yeah. Yeah. You did. Yeah. So I'm trying to make espresso that I'm willing to drink, but my standards are pretty low, so I can. <laughs> and, and you'd uh, you'd got some verve, right? Yes, I did. I uh, I've gone gone through that. I've tr been trying different different espressos um, mm -hmm. but but what i've discovered is i think most espresso that you get most places is is really inconsistent if not downright terrible oh. and and what w when you take espresso and put it in milk it makes stuff that's you know maybe not what a espresso purist would drink it it makes it very drinkable when you you know when you put it in milk so i, I find that i really i think i don't have well, I know that I don't have an appreciation for good, just straight espresso because I, I haven't 
I just haven't drunk a lot of it. And so that puts you in a difficult position when you're trying to make it, which is, okay, is this good? <laughs> right, <laughs> you know I mean? right. And, and you can tell the stuff that's, that's obviously bad. What, what's interesting is um, they call it uh, splitting a shot because the, the, uh, the, you know, the porter filter, the thing that the espresso comes out of, the, mm-hmm. the one that I have has two spouts on it. So you can you know, brew into two shot glasses. So you can, you know, you can start a shot and you can have just a little bit go in one shot glass and pull that away. And then you let the shot run a really long time into the other one. Mm-hmm. So then you can taste what, you know, a really, really under extracted shot is like and what a really, really over extracted shot is like. like. So you can at least taste taste the difference, the, right. you know, the extremes. Right. But yeah, there's I, just oh, so much can, that can go wrong and so much to so many variables. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it doubly impressive, I think, you know, when you go to a place that really, really uh, seems to make good drinks consistently, like Verve um, down in Santa Cruz, or I was at uh, Sight Glass um, in San Francisco on Sunday, or um, you know Four Barrel in San Francisco, Ritual, Blue Bottle, any of those places. They seem to be so consistently good. It must take uh, you know a pretty pretty respectable investment in training and equipment, and uh, and uh, not to say <laughs> to say nothing of the beans and the roasting process and everything else. Yeah, it's. I have great respect for baristas. I mean, I, I did to begin with, but now that I've gotten into it a little bit, I, I have even more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're blazing the trail. I, I hope that, uh, you know, at some point I can, I can consult you when I'm ready to pull the trigger and buy something. But for now, I'm, I'm retail. <laughs> well, that has a lot of appeal if you if you have a good place because frankly, what I find is at least I don't know how you are in the mornings, but I kind of am all about getting up and getting out of the house yeah and i just i'm sure there are some people who are so serious about their espresso that they make one every morning but my issue i don't have time for that at least not at this point when i don't really know what i'm doing i mean it because uh, you, know, you can you can it can take several shots just to dial it in and get so that you're having something that's sort of in the ballpark of something you'd want to drink yeah you yeah. know it's, it's just who has who has the time yep <laughs> all right well We've just, according to my clock, we've passed the half-hour mark, which is the respectable podcast length. Yes, it is. So we should probably sign off. So uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, please remember, this, this. once again, we have proof that we do answer listener questions, and um, so please send them to us at uh, MrDNS at ask-MrDNS.com. Uh, you know, we always look forward to hearing from you, and we couldn't do the podcast without questions. So uh, thanks a lot, and talk to you next time. Bye-bye.